This Sunday, we continue to read from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Well, Merry Christmas and good morning. It's really great to be with all of you. This is our last Sunday of the year. If you were to get into a car right now and start driving due west of here, after about nine or ten hours or so, you'll come upon a view that looks something like this. All right, I know. Uh, I think for those of you that don't know, that is the, uh, the Rocky Mountains there in the distance. And they're just coming up along the horizon. Now from, now from here, it kind of looks like the mountains are all in a nice straight line, doesn't it? Kind of looks like they're all just lined up next to each other in a row like teeth or something. Uh, but the truth is, if you, once you actually get into the Rocky Mountains, you realize that, you know, here two mountains that look from a distance like they're sitting next to each other are actually miles and miles and miles apart. That there's all of this distance and land that exists in between them that you just couldn't see from a distance. Now that is a really great illustration of how Old Testament prophecy works. You see, during this, the month of December, during the season of Advent, we've been in this sermon series called Jesus of the Prophets. 
And we've been looking at Old Testament prophecies that anticipate, that look forward to the coming of the Messiah. That is God's anointed king of promise. The king who's going to rescue God's enemies or rescue God's people from their enemies and fix all the problems. Now we know that Messiah, that king is the Lord Jesus himself. But many people in Jesus' day did not accept him as the Messiah. Mainly for, for a number of reasons, but one of the big ones is that the prophets, when presenting these prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, from a dis- such a distance, it looked like all of the things that the Messiah, that's promised of the Messiah happen all at once. You know, so there are things in the prophecies that we've seen, promises like, he's going he's gonna to rule over the entire earth. He's going to bring about eternal, perfect justice and peace to the whole earth. And you look at the life of Jesus and you're like, wait a minute, that, 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 those don't quite seem to line up. But what we find out is that when the, the coming of the Messiah isn't just one event. It's actually two. But from a distance, it looked like it was all one thing. So now that G, the Messiah has come, we realize we're still waiting for a second coming. Now, our passage this morning really is a great example of this dynamic. Uh, theologians call it the already and the not yet. The Messiah has come. He has brought the kingdom of God. That's Jesus announced that in his ministry. The kingdom of God has come, right? And we're actually going to get back to that when we go back to the Sermon on the Mount in the following weeks. But right, that's happened. That's already happened. But we're still waiting for Jesus' second coming when he doesn't show up as a humble, lowly Galilean, but he shows up as the king of kings and the lord of lords and, and the kingdom is brought to its completion. So we're... And our, so our passage this morning deals with that, okay? Um, I don't want to take up too much time because I know we all have got holiday plans. You may have a Zoom call with some family members. So I really just want to ask one simple question. There's a lot we could see, a lot of things. we could. This is a huge, robust passage. We could do a whole sermon series on this passage. But I really just want to spend time thinking about one question. And that is, how does this picture of tomorrow change our today? How does this picture of tomorrow change our today? Okay? Uh, Now, as we begin to answer that question, we have to start with the picture itself. So the passage, as you'll see, picks up with just announcing, okay, this Messiah is going to come. It talks about the stump of Jesse. That's a way of saying that the throne of David is now empty. The line of David has been cut off. There's no Davidic king on the throne. And that was true in Jesus' day. And, but here comes this, rem, this uh, descendant of King David, this, you know, this shoot, right? This branch that comes off of the stump, and he fills his, his uh, father David's throne. And then we get this description of what, his, what kind of king he is. What makes him different than all of the other kings? And honestly, this is stuff that we've already seen in these other Old Testament prophecies that we've been looking at in this series. We see that he's got the, the spirit of the Lord. The presence of God goes with the king. Right? The power and the presence of God are with him and that he has divine wisdom. Right? You know, we saw earlier that it, he doesn't judge by what his eyes see, but he operates according to God's wisdom. And his reign is characterized not by wickedness, but by righteousness. Not by corruption, but by equity. Right? So that, that's what we get. And then it transitions, the prophecy transitions to 
okay, well, once the king shows up, what's his kingdom going to be like? What is it going to be like when the king comes into his kingdom? What is it going to be like? And so we get to this part, and this is actually where I get the sermon title. If, if you can, if you, I don't know if you saw, but I've titled this sermon, Welcome to Zootopia. Have you guys seen this movie? It's this, it's this cartoon movie where there's this imaginary city where predators and prey all live together in harmony, right? And it, that's kind of what we got going on here in this passage, isn't it? Right? We've got wolves and lambs lying down together. We've got leopards and goats just hanging out, right? It's this very picturesque thing. Um, now, some people have looked at this passage and they've taken it literally and they've said, well, what this is showing us is that when Jesus comes again, there's going to be such a radical transformation of the natural world that every living thing is now going to be vegetarian. Well, that's possible. I don't have anything to show you to go, well, that just can't be true. That is possible. However, most biblical scholars, when, they look at, when studying this passage, would say, well, even if that's true, that's really not the point. That's kind of missing what's going on here. This passage is functioning metaphorically. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we should always read the Bible metaphorically. Actually, quite the contrary. Most of the Bible is very, very literal because most books in the Bible are historical. They're just historical accounts of real things that happened in real time and space history. Okay? Now, some of the Bible is poetry, is songs, it's art, right? Now, but prophecy kind of exists in the middle of those two things. Because prophecy is talking about real time and space historical events, things that either happened in the past or will happen in the future, but they do so primarily through the use of image and symbols and metaphors. Now, why this is the case, we could, we could, I could spend a lot more time that we don't have talking about why. One reason why metaphors are used in prophecy is that, remember the distance. The prophets lived way, way before the Messiah coming, right? Isaiah lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus, okay? And because it's so far into the future, it's so distant, and there's something very specific that God wants to his people to know about that coming day, the only way to bring it into focus, to bring it into their vision, is through the use of metaphors. So what is this metaphor trying to tell us? What is it trying to show us? Well, in the ancient world, empires, large imperialistic empires, are often portrayed as predatory animals. And this is true in the Bible, and this is actually true in literature in the, from the ancient Near East outside of the Bible. Now, and it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you think of an empire, it's this proud, large nation. And what do they do? They prey upon, by, they conquer, they devour other smaller nations and peoples. That's, how they, that's what it kind of means to be an empire, right? So here we see what... What are the empire? What are these predators? What are they doing? Well, they've given up their predatory ways. They're hanging out with their food. And they're not preying upon them. Right? They're, they're, and, and it's not just like a, a, a just kind of a truce. They're at rest. Their very disposition to be predatorial is changed. 
And actually the disposition of the prey is changed. They're not running away in fear. They're resting too. Right? They're, they're at peace with one another. They're eating the same food. Right? Did you see that? The oxen and the lions are eating straw together. There's this, they're all, they're all resting together. And it's not a temporary peace. Did you notice? Their young are lying down together. This is not a one-generation change. This is a multi-generational change. This is an eternal, everlasting transformation. This is a picture. Um, oops, sorry, went too far. This is a picture of worldwide, universal peace and harmony among all people. Every tribe, every nation, every people group, every socioeconomic status, men, women, old, young, everybody, everywhere, getting along in peace and harmony and, and being at rest with one another. And why? what is the source of their peace and rest? The knowledge of the Lord. Everybody, everywhere knows God. And now this is biblical knowing, okay? This is not, I know some facts about this is personal, relational, intimate knowing. Everybody everywhere knows and loves God. And so everybody everywhere is able to sit down together and rest together and eat the same food. This is a description of the new heavens and the new earth. Now, we actually studied the new heavens and new earth a few months back when we did our study in Revelation. And there's, again, there's so much we could look at. And if there's, and you're going to have questions after today. And I would encourage you, go, if you weren't here for it, go back and listen to those sermons from the book of Revelation or contact us. There's a lot of questions we'd love to answer for you. Because I, I know there's a lot in this passage that we could talk about and are going to raise questions. Okay, But the thing I want to focus on is this particular idea of people, right, who have different, different groups who are at odds now coming together. Now, here's the thing. Here, we have a problem. As modern people, we have this tendency to take a metaphor and to push it into the realm of sentiment, right? Where it's no longer, the metaphor is no longer talking about something real. It's talking about an ideal, a wish, a hope, right? Kind of like that... Uh, John Lennon's song, Imagine, you guys heard that song, right? What does he say? Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. It's a nice song, right? And it's, it's, but that's kind of what, we, what our culture does with Christmas, right? It's, not, it's really not about anything real. It's just a, it gives us warm, fuzzy feelings. It's, wouldn't it be great if everybody got along? Can we just pretend for one day of the year that we all get along, right? It's just kind of this generic sentiment. But of course, the problem with sentiment is that it has no power. It doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't actually do anything in our real, like flesh and blood, time and space lives. You know, as nice as John Lennon's song was, it didn't actually have the power to bring peace into his own personal life. I mean, the guy broke up the Beatles, for goodness sake. Him and that she-wolf Yoko Ono. Just kidding. Music joke. Sorry. Right? So sentiment doesn't have any power. Now, as Christians, we have a little, bit of a little bit of a leg up in that we know that Christmas is actually about a real historical event. 
the coming of the infinite God as a flesh and blood human being in the person of Jesus Christ. That, that it has a real historical point. And that there really is a day coming where Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and he's going to usher in the new heavens and new earth. So we, know, we do have a, we have a sense of like, this is, this is a hope in something real. But we are affected by our culture and we have this tendency that because this day, it just feels so utterly divorced from our real, real lives. It feels so far away, so different than what our actual everyday life experience is, is that we place it into merely the future. Yes, people of every tribe and every nation and every language will come together in peace and harmony when Jesus comes back, and won't it be nice when he does? But that's then. And we're not living in that day now, so I kind of need something to help me get through my life right now. And what we, when we do that, we are, we are walling ourselves off from the power that this passage offers us right now. Because we're missing what the prophet's saying. Didn't you see? That when the Messiah comes, the Spirit of the Lord, the very presence, the very power of Almighty God goes with him. Wherever the king is, there goes the kingdom. Right? And which is why at the end of the passage it says, his resting place shall be glorious. Wherever the king is, that's where the glory of God is going to be seen. Where is the resting place of the king right now? Now, Isaiah would have assumed Jerusalem, right? Because that's where the throne of David is. That's where the temple is. So he's like, well, it probably would be Jerusalem. But the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Where is the resting place of the Lord right now, of, of Jesus? In Matthew 28, Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Meaning, I am the Messiah, the king who's going to rule over the entire earth for eternity. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. By the way, all nations means Every nation, even the nations that hate each other, nations that are against each other, some of whom are preying upon others, like Rome, like Greece, like those barbarians and the Scythians. He's saying everybody, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, what? What is, and this is the important bit. I am with you. Friends, the resting place of Jesus right now is the church. Yes, what will one day be this universal, global reality where everyone, everywhere is going to be at peace and harmony is, even though that is a future reality that will one day be perfect, we, in an imperfect sense, have that reality right now in the church. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about an institution. And I'm not even talking about this event we do once a week on Sundays. I am talking about the people of God. When Jesus said two or more are gathered in my name, wherever they are, whether they're in your house, whether it's over a Zoom call, whether it's here on YouTube live, whatever it is, when two people are gathered or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, that is where you will find lions and lambs lying down together. That is where wolves and sheep will be at peace together and they will eat the same food. 
That is where children can play and be safe in the presence of snakes. And if I can extend the metaphor just a little bit, that is the place where elephants and donkeys can be best friends because they worship the same king. Friends, some people out there will try to tell you that racial reconciliation, that, you know, reconciliation is, that's a social political idea. And it really doesn't have its place in the church. And we here at Central West End Church would very respectfully disagree with that. Because what Isaiah is showing us and what we see again and again in the New Testament is that where you find people gathering in the name of Jesus, people who were at odds, that is not a social political ideal. That is the birthright of the people of God. And it's a signal flare to the watching world, to all of the nations around us to say, this is where the king is. Come see his resting place is glorious. Now I know what you're thinking. Matt Creasy, have you been to church? Have you met Christians? Because it kind of seems like you haven't. You know, I got... (laughs) Christians are sometimes more divided than the culture around them. What? Are you crazy? And look, I, I get it. Some of you, you were shoved into a room with wolves and you got devoured in the context of the church. You've been bitten by, by vipers in the church. They're people whose, it doesn't seem like their nature, their disposition has been changed at all. And the church doesn't always feel like a safe place. And I get it. We're not here yet. It's not perfect yet. But I would ask you this. Do you really think you're going to find this outside of the church? Do you, re- do you see anywhere else in this world where literally people from every nation, every tribe, every language, people left, people right, people young, old, people of varying degrees of socioeconomic status gathering around in true peace, true harmony, eating the same food. There is no other king. There is no one else who can radically transform the nature of our predatory hearts to make us lie down in peace together except Jesus alone. We can't have the kingdom without the king. And the king gave the keys of his kingdom to the church. This always starts with the church and it spreads through the church. So what am I saying? What what do we do with this? Right? Like, do we just try harder? Like, whoa, yeah. You know, people, differing people, people at odds getting together and worshiping Jesus together. Like that's That's the signal that the kingdom has come. That's what's going to tell people that Jesus really is the king. So we got to get, we got to work harder at getting along. We really got to work at this, right? (laughs) Guys, working hard didn't bring the Holy Spirit. It was a gift. Friends, here's all I would ask of you today. One, I would ask you to see what is the real source of our unity? The only thing that can really bring people at odds together is when they actually know the Lord and they eat the same food, which we're going to do in a little bit. And that only comes by the power and the presence of God 
the Holy Spirit. So let's pray for that. We, we meet three times a week, Tuesdays at lunch, Wednesday mornings, or before the service. And if, if those times don't work for you, to, to, you know, even once a month to join in, grab some people from another community group and say, hey, can we pick a different time during the week and just pray? Let's pray for the Spirit. Let's pray for Him to revive us. Let's pray that what will one day be a perfect reality for everyone everywhere would be in an imperfect way, but more visibly seen a reality at Central West End Church. Please, Lord Jesus, help us. How does this picture of tomorrow change our today? Well, it's, it's because the king of tomorrow is with us today and always. Let me pray. Father, please, in the name of Jesus, send your spirit. Lord, we are so divided right now, but even the strength of our sinful hearts, even the strength of our deep political convictions, they don't have the power to overturn you, Holy Spirit. We don't have the power to undo your kingdom, Lord. The gates of hell will not prevail against the spreading of your kingdom. And so we say, not as just a, a nice thing that we say in, in church, but as a true statement that has bearing on our reality, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my heart and in our church and in our city and in our nation and around the world until the day when everyone everywhere knows you. In your name, Lord Jesus, I pray, amen.